Acts uh, chapter 3, uh, and uh, we read uh, from verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, 
all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about five thousand. The next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Amen. We're all used to travelling to one degree or another. Perhaps it's just for many of us a simple matter of travelling or making the journey each day to work. For others of, us, for others of you, uh, and for many of us at this time of year, we travel to go on holiday. And whether it's going to work or going on holiday, uh, when we're talking with others, they'll often ask us, how do you go there or how are you getting there? And if it's going to work, perhaps some walk, uh, perhaps you drive a car, perhaps you go by public transport, by bus or by train. Often when we're going on holiday, it requires us to take a boat or sometimes to fly. And sometimes when we're going places, there's a whole range of options of how to get there. Go to work. You may be able to walk. You may be able to cycle. You may be able to take public transport. You may be able to drive. You may be able to get a lift, uh, as we say, uh, with someone else. Many different ways to get there. Tonight we want to think about the journey to heaven. And there are many people today who sadly think there are many different ways to get to heaven. But we want to see tonight, as we look at our text in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, at page 1094 in the Church Bible, that there is one way to heaven. 
For there is only one way of salvation. One way of salvation. And if tonight you and I were to ask people in our town, as I've already indicated in the opening psalm, where do you want to be when you die? They will say, I want to be in heaven. If you're to ask them, how do you hope to go there? We would get a whole range of ways by which people hope to travel to heaven. I lead a good life. I go to church. Uh, I do this. I give to charity. Um, I follow a religion. Uh, And we could get a whole range of ways by which people think they're going to go to heaven. It's important for us to realise. And it's important for us to communicate and testify to our world that there's only one way to heaven. One way of salvation. As we look at this text tonight, there are three things, and they're on the rear side of the order of service, that we want to note from this text for our own lives, and then for not just our own benefit, but then for our own lives as we live in this community or wherever the Lord has placed us in the world. This is the testimony that should come forth from us. Let's think first of all of our shared need of salvation. Our shared need of salvation. Acts 4 verse 12, this categoric definitive statement that Peter makes John standing by his side. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We want to think first of all then of our shared need of salvation. The last words of our text are by which we must be saved. And we need to understand the context in which Peter speaks these words. He speaks these words in the presence of a body of men known as the Sanhedrin. A body of 70 or 72 men who are very religious. Men who know their Old Testament, as we would say, inside out and upside down and back to front. There are men whose family line in the church goes back for centuries. There are men whose lives are lived uh, uh, um, consciously in the fear of God. Peter's not speaking here to men who are atheists, who say, I don't believe there's a God. Not speaking here to agnostics who say, well, I don't think there's a God. He's not speaking here to terrorists whose lives openly defy God. He's not speaking here to blasphemers. He's speaking to those who actually take the name of God constantly upon their lips. And he informs these religious leaders who are now his judges that they need to be 
saved. Notice how he uses the word we. It's an all-inclusive word. It incorporates Peter and John themselves and their fellow apostles as well as these teachers and leaders of the church of that day. He doesn't say you must be saved. He doesn't say some must be saved. He doesn't say many people must be saved or most people. He says we, all of us, every last human being on the face of the earth must be saved if they want to go to heaven when they die. Here's something we dare not overlook or neglect or deny. Here's something we must not fail to communicate to our day and generation. We need to be saved. You, your children, our parents, our siblings, our friends, every person needs to be saved. Why? Well, the Bible is clear. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every woman, every man, every child, by nature, by nature, by birth, by the very virtue of being a human being, is travelling away from God. And Peter, immediately before this, time of his arrest he speaks to a crowd and he speaks of their sins verse 19 of chapter 3 he talks about their sins that they may be wiped out he talks about the sin of rejecting Jesus the sin of crucifying Jesus that was a particular sin that these leaders had recently committed and so Peter's saying, you men who are my judges, and we men who are being judged, we must be saved. Our shared need of salvation. Because of the sinfulness of our own hearts and lives in the sight of a holy and just God. Sin that will cause us to perish and to be condemned to hell if we are not saved from it. Do we recognize tonight our shared need of salvation? Do we communicate by our lives to those around us our shared need of salvation? Let's notice then, secondly, our futile attempts at salvation. Our futile attempts at salvation. We come now to the opening words of our text. Salvation is found in no one else. What do those words imply? Why does Peter make this statement to this body of religious men? Well, because his hearers, because these men, these religious men, they're seeking the salvation they need 
in someone else. They're seeking it somewhere else. And they're seeking it in the wrong place. And the wrong person. Every man, every woman, every child knows in their heart of hearts that they're not right with God. Everybody knows that. Not everybody acknowledges that. But everybody knows it. And so, people attempt to achieve salvation in two main ways. Either through a religious life or a respectable life. A religious life where people throw themselves into uh, the church. A respectable life where people keep themselves outside of the church, but they say, I'm a good person. I don't do anybody any harm. Peter's judges, the Sanhedrin, they're actually actually, uh, attempting salvation through both a religious and a respectable life. Religiously, they believe in one true and holy God. They believe the Old Testament, the first half of our Bibles, that that is the word of God. They give obedience uh, to the laws of God and they see them as of supreme importance. The Ten Commandments that God gave to their forefathers. These people observe religious feasts and festivals almost every month of the year. And if you were to do a survey around their neighbours about the lives of these men, they would tell you that their lives are good. They're respectable. They're pillars of society. But religion and respectability will not bring them or you or me or our community into a real and living relationship with God. Why can religion not do that? Why can respectability not accomplish that? Well, because religion and respectability don't deal with the heart of the problem, which is the heart. doesn't deal with the heart of the problem, which is the heart. doesn't remove our sin. That original sin that we have that flows down from Adam to us, and that actual sin then that is the overflow of the original sin out of our lives. Religion doesn't deal with that. Respectability doesn't deal with that. doesn't remove it. Yes, it may put a cloak and a veneer over it so that it doesn't um, show itself in its worst forms, but it's always there. Scratch the surface of religion. Scratch the surface of respectability and you will very soon see that original and actual sin in the response of the person to whom you're speaking. How dare you say that I'm not going to heaven? How dare you suggest that I'm not good enough for God? That's the voice of religion. How dare you say I'm a sinner? That's the voice of religion and respectability. 
that is without Christ. And so we have these futile attempts at salvation. Religion and respectability cannot remove the offense that our sin is given to God. Religion and respectability cannot satisfy the holiness that God uh, of God, that God requires of us. And our attempts to save ourselves are futile. Like passengers on the sinking Titanic, cast upon the open sea, we are doomed to death, physical, spiritual, eternal death, unless a lifeboat draws near and rescues us out of the sea of our sin. That brings us then thirdly this evening and finally this evening to our one way of salvation. Our shared need of salvation, our futile attempts at salvation, our one way or our one hope, perhaps would be a better way of putting it, uh, of salvation. When Peter says, salvation is found in no one else, his statement applies, implies sorry, that there is one way to be saved. This one way by which these religious men who are his judges, and by which Peter himself and John by his side, by which you and I can be rescued from the heart of the problem, which is the heart and sin within it. There is one God who saves, and only one. The great mistake that mankind has made down the centuries. It was there in the Old Testament, it's there in the New Testament, and it's very, very dominant in our Western culture today, is to think there are many ways to God. Reaching God is like going up a mountain. And you start with Jesus Christ, and you reach the mountain that is God. And here's somebody else, and they're a Muslim, and they start with Allah. And they will reach God. And here's somebody else. And they follow Buddha. And by Buddha they will reach God. Here's somebody else. And by Confucius. And they will reach God. If they follow the path. That they use individuals. The scripture says no. No. It's folly. Salvation is found and no one else. Peter, Peter speaks at a time when there are many faiths. The Greeks of his day have their gods. The Romans, the leading ruling power of the day, they have their gods. And Peter says, let's be clear. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name given under heaven to men by which we must be saved. And as he says that to these Jewish people, he's saying something to them that's very important as well. You're not saved through Moses. You're not saved through Elijah. And you see, those are the great figures that they looked to, the law, Moses. The prophets symbolized in Elijah. 
And Peter is saying, no, no. Moses and Elijah, they were saved through Christ. And the law and the prophets bring us to our need to be saved through the Christ. And then Peter, uh, in saying this, and declaring that Jesus is the way to be saved, he goes back to the man uh, that has just been healed. Verse 10. It is by the name of Jesus Christ that the lame beggar was healed. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 4. We're called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, how he was saved. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified. The previous day, Peter preached comprehensively uh, to the crowd about Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 13, he describes him as God's servant. Chapter 3, verse 14, he describes him as the Holy One and the Righteous One. That Holy and Righteous One of which we sang in Psalm 15 at the beginning of our service. In verse 15, he describes him as the author of life, the one who gives these people life, the one who gives you and I life tonight, or you and me life tonight, the one raised from the dead, verse 15. And he tells the crowds what they've done with Jesus. You've handed him over, chapter 3, verse 13. You disowned him, verse 14. You killed him, verse 14. 15, sir. And yet God was at work. And all the words and actions and decisions of those Jewish leaders in putting, as they put Jesus to death. And God was at work to provide salvation. Jesus Christ, in the words of our text, is the name given to men by which we must be saved. And on the cross, Jesus offered up his sinless life as the ransom for the sins of many people. They took the wrath of God due for the sins of many people in his own body, his own soul. And he experienced hell to save sinners. And by doing all of that, he satisfied the holy wrath of his Father. And he's opened up one way of salvation. And this salvation in Jesus Christ it's a free gift. We need to tell people that. We need to believe that ourselves. We need to tell other people that. It can't be bought. It cannot be earned. It is not deserved. Rather, chapter, it is received. Chapter 3, verse 19. How is it received? Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. Salvation, boys and girls, And young people and men and women is in Christ and it's ours as we repent and turn to God that our sins may be wiped out. And then chapter 4, verse 4, here's the other side of the coin. 
But many who heard the message believed. You see, there's repentance. That's in regard to our sin. And faith, that is in regard to the Christ. Where we say there's no one else. I believe in my heart and in my life. And I communicate by my life and by my words that salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We often ask people when they tell us they're going somewhere, how are you getting there? And when people say to you or me, I'm going to heaven when we die. We need to have the courage. We need to have the humility. And the compassion. And the care to say to them. How are you getting there? And then lovingly to show them. What they probably. Many will not realise. That there's only one way. To heaven. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. As for our heads, let's pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for that one way of salvation that has been opened up in the blood and in the body of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body, on the cross at Calvary, where he offered up himself and he experienced in his soul the wrath and judgment of God due to us who are sinners by nature and by deed. O Lord God, it is with gratitude, it is with thanksgiving, it is with great joy, it is with a sense of wonder that we this evening lay hold on Jesus Christ. And we say that we have found salvation in him. Help us, Lord God, in a world that today believes and wants to believe that we can find our own way to you and offer our own best to you. Help our world to realize and help us to show our world our best is not good enough. It falls short of the glory of God. But the best is Christ. And the only way of salvation is in Christ. Help us, Lord, to stand for him in a multi-faith society, in a multicultural generation. We thank you that Christ tonight is in heaven. But he's raised and seated and glorified at your right hand. That he's coming again in his glory. Help us to await his coming with joy. And until his coming, or until he calls, to make him known by our lives and by our lips as the way by which men must be saved. We pray that you would save many people through our lives and our witness and our testimony to Jesus.
Amen. We're singing from Psalm uh, 96c. Um, turning in the Psalms, to, uh, the Psalms for singing to page 228. We're singing 1 to 5. And you'll see the context that it's a new song of salvation that is being sung in the Old Testament uh, that focuses on the Lord and that says all the gods that men make stands afore are idols dumb which blinded people's fear. Let's stand and sing one to five and the tune is number 70. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs> 